You've landed on The Substance, a podcast aimed at being biblical, thoughtful, and human. Join us every other week as we engage the culture without the culture war. I'm your host, Philip Marinello, and I'm joined here today uh, by our guest. This is uh, a bit of a unique experience here, running this by myself, but I'm excited uh, today here to talk with uh, Miles. Say your last name for me, Miles. Wurntz. Okay, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, that's right. Give it give it your best shot. I, you know, it's taken me about 40 years to figure out how to explain to people how to pronounce my last name, and here's what I've landed on, is that it's Wurntz with a Z at the end. <laughs> just just like it just like just it like you know like a couple let me just break it down in the in the most accessible way one of my earliest memories is actually of being in a a like a dry cleaner drive-through and my mom spelling our last name nice and that has been that has been my life like people just don't know really what how to pronounce it or how to how to spell it and so that's just kind of it's just part of the course don't feel so what I'm saying is, Philip, don't feel bad. Well, I, I always try to be respectful. I mean, there are there are times where sometimes somebody will say a name that's very common and I'll mm-hmm. still ask him how to spell it. Like you never you never know. Always trying to play it safe. Miles has a no, he's an author of a number of books, and he's also the a professor of theology over at Abilene Christian University. Miles, welcome to the substance. I guess you and I are gonna chat for a while here. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, it's my pleasure. And if you're new with us here today, The Substance, uh, we're a Christian variety show. Every other week we talk for an hour or so about something related to Christianity, culture, or the arts. Sometimes we have great guests on like today. Uh, previous guests include Bradley Mason, Alan Noble, Caitlin Chess, Robert P. Jones, Karen Swallow Pryor, and several others. Other times we talk amongst ourselves. And then at the end, um, if we have the time, we, we share some shout-outs about things that we have found enjoyable or edifying. So I was expecting <laughs> a little bit of banter back and forth here, but since it's you and me, Miles, um, let's get into it. Your You have a new book. When, when did your book come out? came out late April of this, this year. Okay, your new book is yeah. From Isolation to Community, A Renewed Vision for Christian Life Together. That's a mouthful, but I feel like it's it's pretty clear. Right. So at first glance, uh, this sounds like a COVID book. It sounds like, right. you know, everybody's in isolation and we're trying to figure out how to get out of like this uh, this quarantine that we're in. So this book actually was written mostly during COVID, but I didn't actually have COVID in mind when writing it. So one of the things that I noticed immediately during COVID was the way in which many churches were uh, no, so it didn't really matter like whether your church had like any expertise in technology or knew how to operate Facebook or had a streaming platform of any kind. Within about three weeks, every church basically figured out how to be really tech savvy because everybody was having to do the streaming stuff. That's true. I was actually in Kansas City when COVID. I was all yeah. We were like in Kansas City when things started to shut down. Oh man, we had. Yeah, I know. We had driven up there to go for, I was going to participate in a conference and do some stuff for a few days. We were staying with some friends. And then after we drove up there, we got the notice saying, yep, we're shutting everything down. People can't come in. This thing called COVID is beginning to take over. So we're just, we're shutting everything down. So we got in the car and drove home and had no idea what was going on. Very soon after that, when all the churches were trying to figure out uh, what on earth they were doing and how they were going to be church in this new reality of being separated from one another. Well, the thing that became, I think, clear to me was how much of the ordinary functions of church people were finding ways to put online, uh, whether it was Sunday school groups or the service or worship or even people taking communion online. Sure. Uh, you know, kind of the whole nine yards. And so I began to ask, like, okay, so if everything that we do is basically able to be put online or to be put into a digital format of some consumable form, uh, what is that really saying about the, the nature of church, right? What is this saying about the way in which we gather? And is it really saying that gathering is just kind of like an optional feature to what it is that we do as church? I had a conversation with a pastor in Dallas right around the time that I started writing this. And this is a pastor of a fairly large church in the Dallas area. And 
he was excited about the possibilities going forward with COVID because he, as he put it to me, this gives us a great opportunity to really produce a lot more content. And I, I'm on, I'm on zoom with him and I really hope that my face didn't reflect like the amount of horror (laughs) (laughs) that was, uh, that I was feeling at that moment when he said that, you know, the role of the church, there's, uh, there's communion, there's the fellowship of the saints and there's the creation of content and there's content production. That's right. Um, (laughs) but it really kind of, it was a very telling statement at the same time because it really took the, it, it said, okay, so here's what we do. We come together. And the fact that we come together is really incidental to what the main thing that we do, which is to produce videos and to have a message to tell and a story to communicate and all these sorts of things. And those are not bad things, but at the end of the day, it really makes the fact that we gather together in any sort of physical way, like the fact that we gather together, it really makes that optional. You don't have to do that. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's when I began thinking, okay, so what is this, what, what is this saying about the state, the state of churches and further is this, what is happening to churches right now where everything is having to be digitized and separate. Is this just really revealing the state of what churches already were? Right. Yeah. Is it, is it just kind of, it's not really, so it's, I I kind of, I think what I've, what I realized is that it wasn't really doing anything to churches. It was simply revealing what was already the case in a lot of places, right? That we already thought about our gatherings as optional. We thought about our physical presence to one another. It's just kind of like a convenient way to do X, but it really didn't have anything to do uh, intrinsically with what it meant for us to be church. So one of the things, one of the books that I have taught on a number of different occasions, and I'm going to teach again in the spring, is Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together. Right. And so you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm in the I'm, I'm in the midst of uh, we're in the midst of COVID. Uh, I was in the process of losing my job at the time, transferring from one university to where I'm to ACU, where I currently am. It was just kind of like a really hard place. And so I started reading Bonhoeffer in part just like. A, to have something to do during that really weird period of time when you're just all at home all the time and nobody's going anywhere and you don't really know what's going on. But partly also to kind of help me grapple with this basic question of what is there about church that is essential? And what is there about, like, what is it about the bodiliness of the church that that means something? And so that's where it began, is kind of uh, just beginning to kind of go slowly through Bonhoeffer's life together. And one of the things that he very, you, that you realize very quickly um, in Bonhoeffer is that his way of talking about church, particularly in that book, Life Together, and for your audience, if you've not ever read um, Bonhoeffer's Life Together, it's one of those, it's just kind of one of those Christian classics that I think a lot of people have read at one, at one juncture or another. But it's just one of the richest texts that I know of within Christian theology. No, that is one that, like, I was vaguely aware of it, but I mm-hmm. I was not really, I mean, before kind of going through your work here with this book, that's not one I heard talked about a whole lot. So mm-hmm. I was grateful to be introduced to it, and that's definitely one that sounds like it's worth picking up. I'll give you kind of the, the quick version of it is, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian, probably best known for being hung by the Nazis. He was running an underground seminary in the in the 30s and early 40s in Germany, um, was picked up by the Nazis and put into Flossenburg concentration camp and killed nine days before the Allies liberated it. But was intense, was for the most of, for most of his career, was really concerned with the way in which Christian community happens. Like, what does it mean that we're called to be the body of Christ in the world. It's something we talk about all the time, and I'm surprised that we haven't done more Bonhoeffer-related stuff on the show. Theology of Place is something that we come mm-hmm. back to all the time. And some of the challenges that you're talking about at the beginning, we recently, we didn't go deep on it, but just with all the different um, breakthroughs with AR and stuff like that, we have kind of talked mm-hmm. about some people getting, like you said, excited. Oh, like, and not that we shouldn't look into potentials to use all these things for good, but we can't lose sight of Christ made this Christ is the head of this. So mm-hmm. like we need to look to him for uh, kind of how we, how we engage with it. Yeah. I get really, uh, I get really horrified with things like metaverse church. Um, I was in a, I'm, I'm in a discussion group on Facebook and uh, somebody in this discussion group 
I'm kind of an outsider. I'm kind of like a lurker or an outsider in this particular group that I'm in. But somebody uh, put forward this article about the future of Metaverse Church, and immediately, <laughs> like all of like so many of the the folks in this group just all chimed in, and they were all so excited about the possibilities of Metaverse Church and you know digital online church. And I I, I was like, no, guys, hard pass. Here's <laughs> this is. This is this is perhaps the most dystopian thing I could think of, in part because again, it teaches us that um, yeah, your physical presence isn't really necessary. Your and ultimately your body isn't really necessary. What what's really <laughs> what's really necessary here is the fact that you have a, a a functioning brain that can operate a keyboard. Like that's that's what about you really matters, not your physical presence to one another. So with Bonhoeffer, I began to kind of poke around and realize, okay, so what is it? What's what's going on here, particularly as as churches are scattered in this pretty profound and pretty uh, pretty hard way in 2020? Bonhoeffer has this way of diagnosing what goes on with churches. I think that's really that's really helpful. In that, for Bonhoeffer, just because you are gathered together in a place doesn't mean that you are that you have community in any, any meaningful sense. Sure. For him, you have. You have churches that are producing people, to, you know, training people to be individuals. You have churches that are what he calls crowds, where people are pointed toward the same object or having the same experience. But ultimately, at the end of the day, in both of those scenarios, like you don't really need other people. That the church that is training people to be uh, individuals and the church that gathers people together to have a big common experience together they're kind of the same. They're just kind of two sides of the same coin in that but in neither scenario do you really need other people in order for what you do as church to be like logically coherent. That you can have the same experience, uh, like the same big group crowd experience uh, watching a live cast. You don't really need to be next to one another. The fact that I'm watching this great experience, the fact that there's other people next to me is fine and interesting, but you know, if they weren't there, then I'm not really losing anything. I mean, that is the way a lot of people do church, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's what uh, that's what COVID I think illuminated for us is that we that's basically what we we had been trained to be individuals. We had been trained to not really need one another for a very long time. And so Bonhoeffer then offers a very different vision of what church is about: the presence of others. And the gathered community is not an additional feature to what it is to be church, but it is an essential component to being church. I, I want to go down that path a little bit, but I wanted to rewind just a tad. And I'm always fascinated with these, and I don't always have the opportunity to ask the authors about them. But since mm-hmm. I have you here, tell me about Chip Conyers and uh, the introduction. Mm. I, I always love dedications, and it says the dedication of your book says to Chip Conyers, who told me to stay. Um, whatever you feel comfortable with sharing, I'd love to hear yeah. that experience. So part of my story is learning how to commit to a particular theological tradition over a long period of time. And for me, that's I've been Baptist since I was in high school. And anyone who has been Baptist for any length of time knows that there are uh, good seasons about it and there are really hard seasons about it. And it's they're really great. You'll encounter really wonderful people and you'll also encounter some really, uh, yeah, it's just some really terrible folk along the way. I imagine it's the same in pretty much in any theological tradition, yeah. but yeah. So my story is, I, so I went to a Baptist undergrad. I went to a Baptist seminary and, uh, knew that I wanted to go on and do PhD work. And Chip Conyers was a professor of mine in seminary. And so I consulted, I consulted him and he was, uh, he was, dying of cancer at the time and kind of told him where I was and told him that, you know, I've been to a Baptist undergrad. I've been to a Baptist seminary. If I, if I stay here at Baylor and do a PhD at Baylor, that pretty well locks me into being like <laughs> the Baptist guy. And I told him, I, you know, I just have some reservations about that. Do I, maybe I should like go somewhere else and try to get a broader range of experience and I think part of it, I was, I was really looking for, a, for an excuse out of being Baptist. And uh, Conyers, so, so Conyers told me, well, maybe that's just, maybe, maybe this is just where you need to be. And he said it very, very matter-of-factly. Matter um, 
wasn't he he wasn't looking for me to necessarily like offer a rebuttal or a response to it it was kind of like i think that this uh i think you've i think you've identified what the what the what the issue is and i think you i think you know what you need to do which is to stay and uh anything that i would do kind of to the contrary really would be i don't know kind of jonah headed to you know west instead of east and uh so i remember i was sitting in his kitchen sitting at the kitchen table with him and i said i that was not the answer that I was really looking for. <laughs> I was really looking for you to do the, the thing where you say, you know what, you should really go get a breadth of experience and maybe do something else. But no, he's, he, uh, he told me that I think he thought that maybe that was where I needed to be, was to remain in uh, Baptist life. And so I've thought about that conversation a lot since like probably at least once a month, I think about that conversation. In that being a part of a community like Bonhoeffer talks about it is not an idealistic thing by any stretch of the imagination. It is hard. He talks about um, kind of the warts and bumps that go with being a part of any community, whether it's kind of a local church community over the long haul or committing yourself to a theological tradition over the long haul. Um, There's all sorts of imperfections and all sorts of warts, but there is also good that comes to committing ourselves, I think, to to local bodies and to actual and to like specific groups of people over the long haul man absolutely Um, so anyway so i wrote i've i've thought about that when i was writing this book i thought about him a lot and particularly that conversation so you know he's been dead for over 20 years now but i thought no thanks for sharing like when i read that i was like well that's that seems very impactful it seems like there's a lot there Mm -hmm. so thank you uh yeah Yeah. for sharing that with us yeah absolutely so I don't want to, we don't need to get into all of the nitty gritty, but just kind of broadly for our listeners Mm -hmm. and for how you handle it in the book, talk a little bit about the way, and not just to dunk on the modern church exactly, but Mm -hmm. what is it? What do churches miss and what do they maybe substitute? Like, what is it about the way a lot of modern churches are structured and set up and how they function that tends more towards isolation? So the thesis of the first couple of chapters is that we recognize on the one hand that one of the things sin does is it breaks us apart from one another and that it divides us from the people that we love the most and that it 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 separates us from God it separates us from ourselves it separates us from the earth it separates us in all sorts of ways but what we don't frequently realize is that the way in which we do church is not mitigating that it's only replicating that. And so I do a little analysis of kind of, okay, so let's consider the kind of the basics, the basic options that Bonhoeffer puts in front of us and the way in which he just says that, you know, two of these are effectively two sides of the same coin. The two versions of this, the church that teaches people to be full bore individuals and the church, which emphasizes kind of big crowd gatherings, both of these are just training us to not need other people. If one of the effects of sin is that it divides us from one another, uh, such that we are, we implicitly learn from very young that we have to kind of stand on our own two feet, that we can't ultimately depend on one another, that we need to be individuals, we need to own the ground that we stand on, something right, like that. Sure. The churches don't do us any favors when they, when all they do is just kind of repeat that. But the way in which that gets repeated is very subtle. It's repeated in the way in which we are taught to read scripture and to own our own, that my interpretation can be my interpretation and yours can be yours. And we can maybe have some dialogue about it, but it doesn't really, at the end of the day, it's my interpretation and it's going to be kind of like sacrosanct in that sense. Or it's the way in which we teach people to sing, uh, emphasizing kind of big crowd performances rather than a, a form of singing in which people's voices depend upon one another to to work. It's the way in which we do communion when we have, and I love my church, but we do this with like the individual single size servings of communion stuff. Hate it. (laughs) Hate it all the way down. And that that black little juice too, especially now with COVID. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It teaches us that communion is effectively not about the gathered church community, as the New Testament describes it, but it's fundamentally about my relationship to God. 
that and that's that's a, just that one particular thing. I think about that now, especially mm-hmm. post COVID. Like you are literally instead of communion, you are getting a a made for you individualized mm-hmm. thing. I I never really mm-hmm. thought about that before. So there's all sorts of subtle ways, um, some explicit and some subtle, in which we're just we see the problem of sin that sin divides us from one another. But then the way in which we practice church just doubles down on that. Like it just reinforces that same ethos of being individuals, being broken apart from one another. So then you have something like COVID that happens and we have to put everything online and we're all by ourselves. And it's like, you know what? We could do this in a heartbeat because basically we've been training or we've been training to do this for a long time. And so COVID just kind of pulls the mask off to say, yep, this is what we always were. So it's so it winds up being kind of a downer book, but in a in a way that ultimately hope I, I want to be hopeful to say the solution then is not to not to throw out all of the stuff that we do. The solution is not to throw out to throw out preaching or Bible study or singing or communion or acts of service. Like don't throw out any of that stuff, but just do it in a way that's actually consistent with being a community. No, that's that's exactly it, right? Because I mean, I was mm-hmm. thinking about just for myself, and I wish Trevor Vince were here. I'm sure they would have a, a better way. I'm sure they would have a better way to say this in some ways. But thinking particularly, like you said, and that was what struck me. I didn't get to read the whole thing, but thinking particularly about like the means of grace, both mm-hmm. in the common practice and just in private, just being more intentional. Mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. like looking at the design, like, especially like if we are, if we are seeking to be Christ followers and, and he mm-hmm. is the, the creator and the, the designer and the sovereign looking to him as we come together, like in our life together and mm-hmm. also in our life in private, like, it's not that we don't have the private disciplines, but mm-hmm. that is, that is part of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that he wants to say about the private disciplines in particular is that when we are, so he refers to it as like the day together and the day apart, right? Mm-hmm. These are the two, the two halves of the spiritual life. So it's easy for us to talk about being a church community when we're gathered because we're face to face. But what about like the other five or six days when we're not together, right? What does yeah. that have to do with church? Do we just not, the like, bulk is that just of not, our lives, right? Yeah. The bulk of our lives, right? Is scattered apart from one another. So the way in which he, he describes, and I think this is exactly right, is that when we do private disciplines, that they're not to be seen as competitive with church community, but rather they're the place in which, and they're the, the activities by which we are, we listen to God and we, we encounter the scriptures and we uh, are formed into the image of Christ so that we can bring that back into the community. Yeah. So it, it doesn't wind up being you know, as he puts it, when I'm in church, I just have to listen to other people. But when I'm by myself, then I can have my own say, right? They're not kind of two opposite poles, but rather yeah. think of them as like a feedback loop, right? Do you, you, you are gathered, you are sent out and you are gathered back in. And it's kind of like this constant cycle of I'm being sent out into the, like, kind of like Jesus when he sends the disciples yeah. out, right? That he's, he is that with them. should be exactly, and then he, right? Exactly, right? So he, Jesus is with them and he teaches them and he instructs them and trains them. And then they're sent out and they do all of the things that Jesus teaches them to do. And then they come back and they're like, oh my goodness, look at, look at how this works. And that their life qualitatively when they are gathered back together is different because of their having been sent out. These aren't competitive with one another, but that what we do and the way in which we frame our individual or private spiritual lives uh, is not meant to be a competitor with our gathered life, but it's meant to be that which brings in more goods to the storehouse. It's meant to be that which uh, makes our life together more full. Uh, you also, kind of along these lines, you made me think of something that I love that you hit on in the book that I've had conversations with people for years about it. Talk about both the pros and the cons of um, ministries that kind of section people off by mm-hmm. age or gender or interest mm-hmm. or season of life. Like obviously mm-hmm. those things have some value. And I want to talk about how that can be good for the community and all that, but also what are some of the, uh, the downsides of that and how can we look at that in a healthy way? So I think 
there is a way in which we can think about like attractional ministries, ministries that are organized around certain phases of life or certain ages or men's groups or youth groups or, you know, fill in the blank. There's a, there's a relative value, I think, to being with those that are kind of in your, in your stage of life. The problem comes when we begin to think about what it is that joins us together as church as being something like that, right? That the core of our church is that we're all 20-somethings in this stage of life, or the core of our, ch- the core of our church is our common sociological identification as parents, right? This is the family church, or this is the, this is the college church, or this is the youth church, you know, fill in, fill in the blank. So Bonhoeffer was one of his, one of his, just did so many different things. One of the things he did for about 10 years was he worked as a youth minister and came to the end of that period of being a youth minister and basically thought that you should abolish youth ministry. <laughs> not because he had, not, not because he had like Hashtag a terrible abolish youth ministry. Right. No, exactly. Uh, some days I'm not, in, I'm not, I think that's actually not a bad idea. But the the reason that he said that is not because he thought that youth were terrible and not because he was sick of being a youth minister, but because it effectively created the identity of church around youth culture. It makes an age demographic as the heart and soul of what binds us together as a people. His solution was rather to say, yep, here's what you need to do. You need to abolish the youth ministry and let the youth do everything with the other members of the church, right? Yep. Don't cordon them off by themselves and, and infinitely juvenilize them, but rather teach them how to be a part of the gathered body. But the same thing, I think you could, you could apply the same sort of lesson that he, that he learned to pretty much any age demographic. Don't let the 30-somethings always be by themselves. Do things where you're intentionally making them be with the gathered body of the church. Don't let the senior adults be by themselves all the time. Do things where you're intentionally having, like they're intentionally having to interact and be a part of the larger body of the church. Because when we do age great, like age based stuff in church, what it implicitly teaches us, I think, is that what joins us together in church is not that uh, God calls the rich and the poor and the young and the old and you know people of differing talents and these sorts of things into one body. We're we're implicitly telling people God joins you so that you can be people be with people who are like you. <laughs> That's. Yeah. So, I mean, again, it's not it's it's never in the expl- it's never in the explicit messaging. It's always in the implicit ways in which we uh we we teach our people what church is about, what binds us together, and do we need do we need each other? Do we need the breadth of what God is doing or do we just need ourselves? Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes particularly with the youth group thing you brought that up, mm-hmm. I think that can be more obviously damaging. Right. Like mm-hmm. when we see, oh, they're kind of infantilizing these kids. They're they're not necessarily encouraging them to maturity and not that doing fun stuff and summer camps and activities, not that that's not mature or whatever, but kind of mm-hmm. being like, no, this is youth. It kind of gives a sense of like, okay, this is like junior Christianity. And mm-hmm. the people who like stay in that ministries, like we can even kind of view as like, oh, they're like like there's like the senior pastor, there's like the elders, and then there's like the youth pastor. Right. That's right. That's right. Not and viewing just them have as, those as like, full ministers. Yeah. Yeah. There's that part, and then also like when you a lot of churches are in like the the growth kind of let's attract. It becomes like you said the youth culture thing. Like let's just make the whatever is cool to attract young people. That's mm-hmm. what our church is gonna invest heavily in to like get a lot of kids here and mm-hmm, it, it mm-hmm. can be very easy to lose our way. But I mean, I, I, I don't think it's healthy really or any of those. It's, it's just maybe a little bit more obvious in that way. Right. Yeah. It's really obvious when it comes to something like, uh, like youth culture. But I, I mean, the more I've kind of reflected on that, that bit in particular, if, like on the, so on the one hand, it's like you want to appreciate churches for what they are, where they are. 
right? So I live in West Texas and we have a lot of cowboy churches because we just have a lot of people that really love cowboy culture, right? Sure. That are legit cowboys and or just wish that they were legit cowboys. <laughs> and I don't want to I don't want to negate that to say, wow, that's terrible. You shouldn't, you know, you sh- you should you shouldn't have that in common because they do in fact have that in common. Like sure. if you live in West Texas, like chances are whatever church you go to, it's going to have some kind of inflection of West Texas culture. That's just kind of what it is. If I were going to church in uh, if I were going to church in Thailand, it's going to be inflected with Thai culture. That's just what it what it is. You have you know you can't you can't have your church in, at some level be something other than what it what the possibilities are for it in that particular time and place. Well, that's part of the whole thing that you're setting up too, right? Because that is good. That is the mm-hmm. full expression of God's creation. Because like, mm-hmm. if they denied that, they would be denying like part of them and not that in like some sort of woo woo way, but like mm-hmm. God made us with bodies in time. Like mm-hmm. we reflect different aspects of like his creation and his goodness in different ways, in different places and times. And we should reflect that. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. But just to remember that that's not what joins us together. Right. Correct. That Christ has, Christ has joined together uh, the Jew and the Gentile. And particularly, like I take this as prototypical of the way in which you see a lot of the churches, uh, well, most of the churches that we have like evidence for in the New Testament are kind of these composite churches in which they're not comprised primarily of the rich or primarily of the poor or primarily of Jews or Gentiles. They're just kind of like these weird composite bodies in which what joins them together and allows them to have a common life is the presence of the risen Christ. Mm-hmm. That's it. That the spirit has drawn them together into these weird mishmash sociological groups that shouldn't really exist, but here they are, you know? So, and that's Paul's picture of the body, right? Like, yeah, exactly. let not the hand exactly. look down upon the eye or the mm-hmm. ear, or the foot. Like we, we all have those roles. Like, Jesus and geography. That's like the people who are around me so that we can assemble yep. together. Yep. That's yep. those are my those are the people of God who I right. assemble with. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Rather than kind of doing the self-selecting model either at a macro level or at a kind of a micro level within congregations. I think that both of those kind of the the macro one is easy to see, but the micro one where we where we divide people up according to to different age groups, and again implicitly teaching them what it, what is it that joins us together? This common experience of being thirty something parents is it this experience of being senior adults? Is it experience is is it the common kind of stage in life of being youth? Is that what really kind of binds us together? Well, the problem is that once that changes the church begins to dissolve because that thing which has bound them together has shifted. Man. The same thing, but the same thing's true with respect to anytime you see a church kind of organized around a common, I mean, in pathological ways when a church is organized around a, like a common political platform, but even in like really benevolent ways when a church is organized around a common like mission statement or kind of a missional activity. Whenever that, whenever whatever that thing is changes, then the church fractures and begins to wobble and sometimes fall apart. Yeah, man. How many, how many times have you? How many times have you been a part of a church or seen a church where there was a big galvanizing kind of theme or big galvanizing project or mission statement, and then once that changed, there was a big shakeup within the congregation and a whole lot of people leave. I was talking with one of my pastors about that not too long ago, and. He talked about it at our church previously and several other mm-hmm. churches a lot of times, not even in the the full-on mega church model, but just like mm-hmm. and and this is kind of another topic we've talked about before, and we'll probably talk more like the way churches select leaders is kind of gotten corporatized so much mm-hmm. that it's not really about not even like biblical qualifications, but like thinking about like what is a church and what are we trying to do? It's so personality based a lot of that happens when i see that it's based around a guy or i'm sometimes Mm -hmm. uh, a gal but usually like if there's a charismatic man who is like leading and people are coming for that guy when that guy leaves or when that guy has a Mm -hmm. scandal or when that guy is no longer the common thing Mm -hmm. 
when you looked at the um, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, you look at mm-hmm. how could something with tens of thousands of people spread all over the country and people tuning in all over the world kind of stop like mm-hmm. when one guy was gone like that's that, that belies some serious unhealthiness and and you see that in small yeah. versions all the time and i mean in bonhoeffer's reckoning that that just when whenever something like that happens it just reveals that what was binding the people together was not the fact that they were joined not one another like they weren't there for the other people. They were there for the common mission, for the common purpose, for the charismatic leader, for the common cause. It was a crowd. Yeah. And once you change the conditions of the crowd, then, you know, you realize, yep, we were always just kind of side by side, but not really a community. Man. Well, another thing I wanted to ask you about, we, we kind of mentioned it along with like space and time in our bodies. What are, what are some good ways that we can think about time and be aware of redeeming the time kind of in our kind of hate to say like in this day and age, but like in our fast pace, very digitized, very like attention, like stuff mm-hmm. grabbing for your attention all the time. How can mm-hmm. we think about time and think about stewarding our time? Ooh, that's a really good question. Yeah. So, I mean, the one thing I think about, particularly when with respect to how we value Christian community is to say, um, whenever we have, whenever that community emerges and whenever that community happens, that it's a gift and that it's worth our devoting our, our time and energy to for no other reason than it is through Christian community that we become the body of Christ through the process of learning to receive the words of God's promise through one another through um, receiving and giving of gifts, through the the common reading of the scriptures together, like whenever we have community with one another, like that is when the that is where the work happens, and that is where the spirit uh, begins to bind us together and to undo some of the effects. Uh, if like again, if sin's primary effect is to divide us from one another, then what yes. happens in Christian community is the beginning of God's work to repair that prepare those divisions. And so in that sense, it's like, yeah, you should give your, we should give our time to that because this is something that matters perhaps more than a lot of other things. So do Christian communities last? Do they last in the long haul? Most of them don't. Most of them will last for a short, for a brief season. Some of them will last for maybe a few years. If you're lucky, you're part of one that lasts for decades on end. But Whatever duration of time that it lasts, ultimately, that's kind of beside the point, I think, is that, you know, when it happens, it's a gift and to receive it as such. So so thinking about how we don't know how long a church or a ministry is going to last, mm-hmm. hopefully, like it would last our, our entire life and we can be faithful and, and engage with that community and and plug in and, and minister and be ministered to mm-hmm. that, that got me thinking about earlier when you talked to committing to a theological tradition mm-hmm. for a, a lot of our audience is in like the late twenties to late thirties. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of deconstruction going on mm-hmm. and reconstruction and all that. Talk about the committing to a church and a theological tradition during just a kind of a time of a turmoil a little bit like we have now, like God mm-hmm. hasn't changed. Like his plan for the church hasn't actually changed, but there is a lot of folks going, okay, like not all of my communities are able to handle me going, I really want to like look at what I believe. I want to be actually honoring the character of God and, and all these things. Like talk to us about the importance of commitment to a community and a tradition when we're trying to toe the line of, of being faithful as good as we can during a time mm-hmm. like this. Yeah, so being a part of a tradition matters, I think, because it gives us the framework to both commit to something over the long term while simultaneously having a community with whom to be able to ask hard questions. So being a part of tradition means you don't have to like reinvent the wheel every generation. You don't have to reinvent the wheel from the ground up all the time but that I can trust that, 
Yeah, Christians have been thinking about a lot of these things for centuries, and many of them are way smarter than me. Maybe the question I have needs to be brought into conversation with them, and I need to, I need to operate in good faith and assume that maybe um, that I could be wrong about some of this stuff, in the sense that when I think that I'm being novel or when I think that I'm being the, when I think that my question about the faith is being is is genuine and. Maybe I just maybe I need to listen to those that are a bit not only those that are like in my own communities, like the my elder my elders or uh the senior adults or something like this, but also I need to maybe defer some of my thinking to um I don't know Christians from an earlier age who have kind of gone before me and have have wrestled through some of this stuff in ways that are more rich and profound than the stuff that I've threw together yesterday. I really, really like how you frame that in theological tradition as opposed to just church, because I mean, you are committed to the Baptist tradition. And like you even said, there's a lot of Baptist churches that are environments that are not conducive to a thriving spiritual life. And you're like, if there's abusive leadership and all these bad things, you can mm-hmm. leave that Baptist church. But if you are finding a Baptist church that is that is good, that is warm, that is thriving that you can plug into, you have all that historical legacy that you can tap into. Like, how did people deal with doubts? How did people deal with sin? How did people deal with XYZ question? You have that as opposed to just not having any anchor in whatever your tradition Uh is. Uh Um, Uh But yeah, if you're literally going from, I think I'm going to try this or that, like God's going to, like you have the Holy Spirit. If you're buttoning up with other people that have the Holy Spirit, I'm sure good things are going to eventually happen. But um, you do have a lot more parameters and safety net. Like you said, you're not you're not rebuilding your foundation, re rebuilding it every couple of years. Right. So, I mean, if you're going from, well, this year I'm a Lutheran, next year I'm a Baptist, I'm going to try Catholic. Like that's a lot mm-hmm. of like total paradigm shifts, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, my counsel, I think, and this is the counsel that I give uh, to my students frequently is. Go ahead and commit to something, even if you don't know entirely what all of what it is that you're committing to. Just go ahead, just go ahead and commit to it and work it out in the midst and in the company of others. I think that part of what, and this kind of gets back to the book's title, like part of what isolation encourages us to do is to think that we have to have all of the resources for building our faith purely on our own. Whereas leaning into community and recognizing that no faith is a faith is a journey that is lived within the community because there are there are times when the community will have to do my believing for me. Right, the, we, the, we've the, talked com- about that. Who I think Austin Fisher was talking about doubt. Mm. He wrote a book about uh-huh. doubt, mm-hmm. and uh, when we had him on for that, I really loved how obviously just like you would want to be careful. That's not a way to go through all of life, but going through periods where he's like. I leaned on the faith of others and my mm-hmm. fellow pastors and mm-hmm. even like my fellow brothers and sisters. And I was like, man, like that's really powerful to be able to do that. I was down at his church. Uh, when was it last year? Oh yeah. He's a Texas. He's a very Texas guy. You don't sound yeah, like, yeah, he yeah, sounds yeah. like Matthew McConaughey. Like when we Yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> I'm not from Texas. There's, okay. a, there's an old, uh, there's an, I don't know if you're familiar with Lyle Lovett. Mm, rings a bell, but not really. Oh man. You need to find Lyle Lovett. Lyle Lovett is like a good old fashioned, old fashioned. He's been performing since like the nineties, late eighties, early nineties. He has this song called you're not from Texas. <laughs> and the kind of the chorus is, that's right, you're not from Texas, but Texas wants you anyway, right? That's kind of the, sure. So, yeah, so that's that's my story. Not Very from Texas. not from Texas, but well, then I guess I, I'd be curious here towards the end. When would it? I'm very sold, and I think there's a lot of value in the the commitment for a long term. When would it be a good idea to potentially consider changing traditions? And if that is something you're considering doing like how would you go about that if you were going to do that well Mm, that's a good question so and here's where i want to distinguish maybe between changing churches even though i i'm I'm still and i'm fairly hesitant even to commend people to change churches i think for the most part the things that i talk about in the book like they only happen when we commit ourselves to particular 
to particular places and to particular communities um, sure. before and even before we commit ourselves to like particular traditions i think you have to commit we have to commit ourselves to like particular group particular communities so one of the things that will inevitably happen within a community is that you find yourself uh, being able to give and receive certain gifts. And if we find ourselves over time unable to give and receive the gifts of the community, that may be an indicator that maybe we have, we have different gifts to give that this community and perhaps this tradition of communities is not able to receive. or this community this community and thus this tradition of communities is trying to give us gifts that we're not able we're not able to receive that might be a good indicator that something about the way that there's something there's there's some sort of mismatch here maybe maybe again i'm fair i'm i'm fairly on the side of stay with the community that you're a part of and learn uh, learn to be a part of a community over the long haul i'm i'm far less of the uh, I'm far less of the the opposite side, I think, and for a variety of reasons. Not only because I think that and I'll say I'll speak for at least me and Trevor. I, I would imagine Vince is there, but Trevor and I very much are, and I imagine Vince is too. We're very much with you. It's just that the last couple of years you've seen, it mm-hmm. appears that churches and traditions either shift or expose some things that, yeah, if they were there all the time, it's like, well, no, like. Be, me being all of me and and following Christ, like we can't we can't be side by side. Not that you're the most wicked person in the world or whatever, if that's your way. But like, I don't think we're on the same wavelength and have the same goals. So I don't really know if we can full on like be side by side. And if there's like, not that you want to be church hopping, but if mm-hmm. there's like a hundred other churches in my city, like I mm-hmm. really don't think we're a good fit for each other. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, kind of on so on a macro level, I think that one of the things that has kept me Baptist um, and continues to keep me Baptist. Well, there's there's like some theological convictions I think that continue to keep me Baptist. But one of the things I think about is that in the state of a divided church, perhaps the best thing that we can do is to stay put and work for uh, the reunion of churches or work for kind of the sure. unity of the body of Christ from, from a particular vantage point. But what happens, what you're asking, I think is something, is something very different. It's like, what happens when you find, you know, that, that you are just, you know, fundamentally at odds with kind of where a particular church body is. I think that that's something to, that's something I think that we lament and I think that that's something that we then recommit ourselves to. If we're going to commit ourselves to a different church body, that we we go in looking to commit again, right? Yeah. If you get to that point where things are ir- like with things feel <laughs> like they're irrevocably, yeah, irreconcilably broken. <laughs> sure. I think that that's always something to lament and something to grieve. Yeah. And then you go into uh, you you look to read to like join a new church body just go ahead and jump in with both feet. Don't go in uh, kind of towing, like tipping your toe in the water. Just go ahead and just jump in with both feet. And I'm, I'm very grateful that God kind of opened the paths he did and the, the Google searches happened the way I did. Um, mm-hmm. When I left my church a couple of years ago, literally the first one I visited, so much of it was so great. And I've been there. And this is like, after I left my, like, this is the third church in my life that I've been mm-hmm. really a part of, and I've been a part of church my whole life. So it's, it's a blessing. And one of the church changes was because when I moved here to Kansas city, so I'm, I'm really only on my second church here in Kansas city. So I've, I consider myself blessed, but I always just want to think about like, there's a lot of people hurting right now. And I think that commitment can seem scary for folks who are hurt and harmed and skeptical. Mm-hmm. But just the value of just like a relationship, right? Like you can't benefit from a relationship with an individual if when you get together, you're like, well, like I don't really want to commit to like engaging with you and like being here and sharing myself and like being mm-hmm. engaged. Then like you can't really get anything out of that. Yeah, that's where I, I mean, this is, and, the, and I talk about this a little bit in the book, is that I think that. 
part of what happens in a church community is that we begin to, once we, once we commit ourselves to a community, like we begin to understand who we are after we commit to the church community. Yes. Rather than, rather than like the reverse, which I think frequently is, is the case that we, we assume that we have kind of a fully, like I, I assume that I have a fully developed sense of self and I'm looking for a community that matches that thing that I sense myself to be, right? Yeah, like we're right. um, yeah. shopping for a church. Like the whole, like, the commodity, like, uh, what did Trevor say? Yeah. Like, yeah, the commoditization of spirituality, like, that's yeah. not what we want to do or encourage. So in in First Corinthians, when Paul is t- describing the way in which uh, the way in which the parts of the body operate, one of the things that is striking to me about that description is the way in which he first presumes that you have a body, and then secondly, he pre- and then and only then do you start to get kind of distinctions and delineations within the body. So you have a body first, and then you have eyes and feet and hands and ears and all the rest, right? <laughs> yeah, you're not just the, like, ah, oh, I'm eyeballs. Yeah. I'm looking, looking for a couple yeah, of exactly. So, I'm, so I don't, I don't assume that I'm an eyeball or this is my gift. And now let me go find a church to plug into that has like that particular, you know, that particular need or is comprised, like where my, my body part fits. Sure. That's, that's like the Frankensteining of. Yeah, living. that is perfect. So it's. But rather, so it's it's more like it's more like biological development that you have this body that begins in utero to kind of differentiate and kind of to grow different parts. But first, you but first and fundamentally, you have this body, and I think that that's the way. I think that when he uses that analogy, I think that that's a helpful thing, particularly for our age, as people are thinking about what it means for them to belong to to a church. That yeah, you should like we should actively resist the notion that I have a fully developed sense of self, and now I just need to go find a church that fits that fully developed sense of self. I'm like, well, maybe it's maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you like commit yourself to a church, and in the process of doing that, you like you discover things about yourself that you didn't quite know, or maybe the self that you thought you had is not quite the self that you really are. And but you won't find that out until you actually commit yourself to this group of people that have access to you and can kind of like speak into your life in a way that sometimes is amazing and sometimes is really painful, but they're going to draw things out of you and change your own conception of self in really healthy and productive ways. Now, that's golden. Don't be don't be a spiritual Frankenstein. Yeah, don't be a spiritual (laughs) Frankenstein. Right. It It works. It doesn't work that direction. I think it actually works the opposite direction. We become who we are as as a pro, as a like as a byproduct of having committed our of having been committed to a community. Man, that is perfect. Miles here at the end. We we only really have one segment on the show. Um, mm-hmm. It's called Substance Shoutouts, where we invite our guests to share. And maybe I'll share one too, since it's just me and you here. But um, what have you been finding recently? So Substance Shoutouts is really anything. What have you recently been um, finding, engaging with, watching, reading, listening to um, that you've been finding either um, edifying or enjoyable? Okay, so I'm going to give one uh, one literary and then one trying to debate what the other what the other is going to be. All right, so I'll give the literary one first. Okay. So I have been rereading a book called The Brothers K nice. by David James Duncan. It is my vote for the great American novel. It is I've read it two times now. This is my third time to go through it with a bunch of guys. Um and it is just phenomenal. It's like it's like 550 pages long and there is not one page that is out of place or that is just like frills it's just fantastic all the way down nice so if your readers haven't if your if your audience has doesn't know about this book it is on my top five list of books that will like change your life for the better so it's my list yep it's amazing um so i've been reading that lately um we have also we're also uh cranking through the latest season of the great british bake-off nice of whatever or whatever netflix calls it now i think that's what it's I think called it's bake off in the u.s yeah i think it's bake off yeah whatever what whatever the official title it's the is. great british baking show in the uk and the great yeah. british bake off here i believe 
I think that's it. Anyway, it's I'm a just week or two behind on that. But yeah, it's so fun. It's, it's just delightful, and I think it's delightful because, like, it's a it's this weird little community of people that are trying to be excellent at what they do, and they're just encouraging. And uh, nobody's making you like, I don't know, cook shrimp with <laughs> garden tools or something like that. You know, there's nothing exotic. There's nothing crazy about it. It's just like people trying to be excellent at what they do. And it's thinking, the most yeah. uplifting. It is. And wholesome competition show, I think that I've it ever is. seen. It's it's just wholesome and it's just wholesome and wonderful. So very nice. There's lots of other stuff. Like I watch a lot of stuff on HBO that my wife doesn't doesn't share that that Same. taste for. But that's that's a you know those are the two those are the two I'm going to go with. Those are the shows. So, very nice, very Baptist and safe, but I like them very much. <laughs> those are the uh, PG recommendations. I so. like it. All right. Um, we'll put a link for the book in the show notes. Is there anything else that you'd like our listeners to look out for? Or where can people find you, Miles? Uh, so they can find me on they can find me online and all the usual places. I have a unusual name, so all you have to do is just uh, just search it, and I'm I'm there. Uh, I write. Uh, I have a Substack, the newsletter that I do um, twice a week on issues related to Christian ethics. Nice. Uh, so if folks want to come check that out, would love to have them along for the ride. Beautiful. Well, so. Miles, thank you for joining us. I'll be putting all the links to that in the show notes. Listeners, go check them out. Check out the book. And can I also say, and I can because I'm the only one here. Because you cut you're this host, out right? if you wanted to. Thank you for writing a really focused and concise book under 200 pages. Those are my favorites. I didn't get to yeah. read the whole thing before we talked. But we get sent books all the time, and I'm like, if it's not like two two fifteen, I'm. Mm-hmm. We get sent so many books. We we need like, yeah. I, I don't get to look at half as much as I would like to, especially with a job and wife and kids and ministries and all that. But thank you for writing something under two hundred pages. I think that unless it's super academic, there should be like nothing over two fifteen, <laughs> <laughs> or like a great American novel. Yes. But if you're writing like practical stuff i feel like and i believe what was it only like six or seven chapters mm-hmm. that's yep. primo for like either a, like a small group or a guy's group or a gal's group or whatever like getting together you can crank through that in a couple months and just be very very edified so thank you for uh your work with that you're welcome well thank you for having me on the show i appreciate it all right have a great evening all right we'll see you you guys know the drill, but if you're new and you don't, uh, the substance is brought to you by you, the listeners. And if this is something that you like or find a value, we'd love it. If you threw a little bit in our digital tip jar, you can do that on Cash App at dollar sign the substance pod. Or if you really love us and want to join us supporting, you can do that in the anchor link in the show notes or on the website. It's five or ten dollars a month. It's extremely helpful. We got websites. We're maybe going to do some merch here. There, there's a lot of stuff. And giveaways. I know we still owe you a giveaway. Hopefully, by the time you're hearing this, we maybe have done a giveaway for getting 100 reviews. But we always love doing stuff for you guys. So if that's something you want to join in on, um, we'd uh, love to have you. TheSubstancePod.com episodes, the blessed playlist, support page, email, anything that you want to do to get engaged with us or directly engage us, you can visit us at TheSubstancePod.com. Our homepage has all our socials. Um, Click on those, follow us, and engage with us on TheSubstancePod.com. I had a friend of mine the other day tell me, I was talking about uh all the places that the substance is available and he's like i just go listen to it on the substancepod.com on the website nice for real yeah yeah that was how i started listening to podcasts before like i knew how to like get my ipod plugged in and download it on itunes and transfer it to my ipod i used to just stream it off people's web that's the best leave some comments there you go and uh, call our voicemail line, 913-703-3883. Zero the voicemail, because it's 2022, so, I mean, you already knew that. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. <laughs> the substance pod at gmail.com is our email address, and we love it when our listeners write to us. My name's Trevor. And I'm Philip. And I'm Vincent. And we're very glad you joined us this week. Excited to see you next time. On The Substance.
Um, just, uh, just a guest. We got, hold on. I didn't even anticipate that. This is part of, <laughs> okay. Here by myself. 